Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me to look at the Rockets' future is Frank from HTX Chop Shop. The Twitter spaces with Frank and the boys at the Chop Shop has been my favorite place to go to for analysis and getting in the mood of the fan base this year. And I want to thank you, Frank, for coming on. How are you feeling now that the season is officially over? Um, I think I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, it, it got a little rough there in the middle uh, after the, the losing streak we had. And, you know, basically the complaint all over Houston was, why aren't we seeing these young, talented players that we drafted on the court? But um, I think the as they kind of uh, went towards the end of the year that we got to see what we had and some of these young guys uh, – I think the fan base is on a on a on a good note right now, so I think that's a great way to go into the off season uh, uh, with the team. Yeah, definitely a great way to end the season with some of the guys really showing out. And before we get into what the Rockets are going to do in the off season, what we think maybe the Rockets should do in the off season, do you want to tell people a little bit about your hoops background for those who don't know? Well, I, I don't have a, a huge hoops background, but as far as well as far as me playing uh, basketball. Actually, I I played football. That was my sport. I played at Purdue A&M University. I was a center over there. Um, but uh, as far as when it comes to basketball, I just grew up watching it. Uh, my my uh, dad was a huge Rockets fan. He used to watch, uh, you know, Dream, uh, you know, and the teams in the early '90s play. And I just remember as a kid, just staying up late uh, watching games. I remember a lot of the Lakers games for some reason because I remember I'd be tired the next day at school. Uh, but uh, just staying up late watching the games. And for me, where I really fell in love with the team was when Steve Francis was drafted. Uh, I was kind of a young guy, you know, preteen around that that time frame. And uh, he became mine. You know, every generation you have a guy that you just idolize or that's your guy on the team. And Steve Francis was mine with Catino, the teams that we have with Muchi Norris, with um, with um, Eddie Griffin, rest in peace, Mo Taylor, so that 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 group right there, Kelvin Cato, I, I loved them even till the tail tail end when Yao came and uh, really hurt me when they kind of broke that up. But that that was what drew me into the Rockets, and uh, I've been addicted ever since. Just uh, a diehard fan. Sounds good. And right when you got into it, I was doing some work for the Rockets. For those that don't know, I spent a year uh, with the Rockets uh, over at Channel Twenty. I was helping out shooting and ever editing everything that they needed doing feature stories and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm a Houston native. I go back to why I start watching with Calvin Murphy and Moses Malone, sort of the tail end of that, the 81 finals, I vaguely remember. And then once they get Akeem and Ralph and that whole thing starts up, I get into it. I've been into it ever since, you know, it's just it of all the sports in Houston and I love them all. The Rockets have a little bit more of a place in my heart, I think, than a lot of them. Part of it's the championships. But, you know, I think it's just the fact that um, you feel a little bit more intimate with NBA guys because you see their faces and you feel like you get to know them and stuff like that. And I just want to remind everybody listening also uh, or watching that you can listen to this uh, on my podcast. If you're if you're not watching, you can watch it on YouTube. And I'm breaking down some of my conversations into two or three minute videos so if you get too busy, you got that too. And Frank, I just want to go back to like this team and this year. And how much do you make of what KPJ and Jalen have done recently, considering the majority of these crazy numbers have been since the vets like Wood and Gordon were sat down? Um, I, I, I take that 
With a grain of salt, you know, obviously, if you watch the NBA long enough, you know how the end of the seasons uh, kind of end. Uh, you could, you can get fool's gold. The thing that I, I'm happy about is for Jalen and both KPJ, I've seen them do this before. So what we got to see was really confirmation of what they could be. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, Jalen's going to average 30 next year. Some people are uh, putting out there. Uh, what it does mean that he is a talented guy that belongs in the NBA and he's somebody that should be, um, you know, scouted on by other teams when they come out next year. Um, but watching the run that they went on, like I said, grain of salt, because for KPJ's part, I want to see him do that with more talent on the court. It's okay to score 30, 30 plus points when it's just you and another really high talented guy and you guys are throwing up 25 shots a game. But um, what can you do on this court when you have other talented guys that demand the ball and things like that? And for Jalen, um, you know, the Toronto game gave me a little preview of what he needs to work on the most is like he needs to learn how to um, be able to read the defense when they are catered to stopping him. And that's to me, that's what separates your great players from your good players. If he can take advantage of his gravity and be able to make plays off of that, because that's what Toronto was begging him to do when they they're putting three guys on you. You got to read that and crash that up and pass it out. But he still has that uh, step he has to take in doing that. But I'm really excited to watch what he's done because he's improved so much in a short time. Yeah, we saw with Harden, when you get that good, the weight of the court starts to move your way. It gets a lot harder. And of course, he's going to have to start dealing with that more and more. And and I want to go to just Kevin Porter, because this is one of the more difficult things here, Frank, because the general feeling among the fan base and certainly myself, he's not a point guard. And, and it makes way more sense to move him off the ball. He can defend multiple positions from a size standpoint. He can handle it. I mean, yes, even with Jalen Green, I think you can move him small forward with 6'6". He's got the size and everything that you would need as a small forward. I'm a believer that point guards and leaders, they're born. They're not created. Uh, you, you can't just like go, okay, here, go out, be a leader, you know, be, be a point guard. Do you 100% agree with what I'm saying? And if so, is there any way the Rockets or KPJ would go for this after doing this year-long experiment? I agree to an, uh, with what you said. I do agree. I, I share that thought. It's like, a, to me, I see a, a point guard. And if we're going to do the semantics, I know there's a lot of definitions out there, but you're, what, the way I view a point guard on a team is the guy that is going to uh, initiate your offense and be the most dominant ball handler and kind of set the pace of the team. So as we know in the current NBA, there's a lot of variations of guys that initiate offense and do that. Um, but so for Kevin Porter, can he be, I guess the question we're trying to ask is, can he be the guy that you trust to dictate the shots that every other guy gets, dictate the pace that you play with, dictate um, the offensive sets you get into, and not just in a, you know, in a game in March, but let's say in the playoff series. And that question to me is still open. Um, you know, I'm not going to marry the the name point guard to him, but to me, he hasn't, he's grown a little bit in that aspect. I think he's grown as a basketball player a lot this season, just overall in his defense. And we see him get, uh, get more comfortable throughout. But as far as those things that I look at when I watch him play is his pace, decision-making, um, how fast he initiates shot selection, when to get guys involved and when to, you know, go put his foot on the gas and score. And I still think he struggles in that department. And what we saw, what people equate um, with him doing well as a point guard is him just scoring. 
you know, if he scores, and to me, that's where he's best suited when he's a scorer, and then he can create off of that. But that doesn't serve the general team that the then the same impact that a, a traditional point guard would have. So I still think that jury's still out. I, I think it's a the team should. I mean, they should explore it more. Um, but in the meantime, I think there are other guys on the team that would be able to provide some of those services if uh, he's not able to do it. Um, like I said, teams do it different ways. The Spurs, for example, um, they had a bunch of high IQ players that were able to initiate at different points of the game, depending on what the situation was. The Warriors, Steph Curry is not a traditional point guard, but I do trust him with the pace and all that stuff. But Draymond was their guy. So if maybe Alperin can become that in the future, or they get a guy that could be on the court with Kevin Porter, with Jalen Green, with Alperin, and still allow them to be themselves, but help them with that pace and do all those little things, those nuances of the, of the, of the position that you were, uh, you were referring to then, I think they can, he can coexist as a ball dominant guard. But like I said, the jury's still out. Yeah. He spent a lot of time this year dribbling, 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 and he's not moving the ball quickly. He's the the ball's not popping around when he's gets the ball coming up court. He, he kind of, it feels like he's thinking through a lot of things still. And I just feel like it's because he's, this is not what he's naturally good at. You know, I just thought about this Frank today a little bit looking it over, like, what could you do? It's a bad point guard draft. Dyson Daniels, maybe some potential. I don't really have the patience, though, to develop another horrible shooter. The Rockets are loaded with those guys already. Uh, We have a lot of shooting projects. But one thing I like is having a pro point guard on the floor. Schroeder, very much a backup plan for me. Would you consider making a run at Jalen Brunson, a free agent. Um, you, you you don't have to look at him as, oh, this is the end-all, be-all forever. But he's somebody that you get him under, you know, under contract here and, you know, for a couple of years or something like that, if somebody in the draft comes along, you know, you can get him under a contract where you could potentially trade him or something like that or move him to like your sixth guard that's coming off the bench or something like that. Is that somebody that you would be interested in? They would probably have to do a little cap gymnastics to, to fit him in. I'm assuming he's probably going to be, you know, about $20 million a year or something in that neighborhood. What do you think about somebody like Brunson? To me, that's the prototype you want uh, because he, he has the IQ and the pace and he can play next to a super ball dominant player like Luca. So that tells me that he can coexist with, Luca at least takes up at least two of our guys as far as when it comes to shots. So he can, he can be on, on that type of team, a guy that I I would really, really love. And this is just like a side dream of mine would be somebody like uh, Fred Van Vliet. Um, Because I think him just overall, one thing I'm concerned about Jalen is the defense. And with our other players, they're not, uh, they're not the greatest defenders. Obviously we have the worst defense in the league, so I think any addition to this team has to be a plus on the defensive side. And so for a guard like Jalen, that, that, that'll be the only uh, concern that I would have. Maybe um, in a few years when uh, Kevin Porter and Jalen Green and all these guys develop more IQ on that side of the ball and are able to use their athletic abilities to be lockdown defenders. Um, but I think what we need right now is plus defenders across the board in every position uh, because our defense is porous. But the that type is yes is the is the dream low usage high iq 
that is a, a good table setter and will be able to get your offense in gear. And I think Coach Silas, honestly, I think if he could have it his way, you know, he made that comment about dumbing down the offense a bit. If he had a Jalen Brunson, we might get to see his uh, his offensive genius uh, show. But I think a lot of the things that he he had to deal with were due to lack of uh, available parts for him. So, yeah. Yeah, the thing that I look at when I see Jalen Green is he's a pretty frail six foot four, and even putting size on him. And I, I've talked about this with talked about it with Jackson Gatlin on the podcast. It, it's a concern for me because he he doesn't have a wide base. You know, to start with, he doesn't have big shoulders. He's six foot four. You know, you talk, everybody talks about Chet Holmgren's frame and they're concerned about him and the draft. But Jalen Green doesn't have that frame that you can put a lot of stuff with. So you feel like with Jalen Green, you're, you're going to need a bigger guard with him. You know, that's the, the one benefit of Porter is he, he does work with Jalen Green defensively if they, you know, continue to improve defensively quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I think Jalen will, he can put on muscle. He has the frame to, to bulk up a bit. Um, he, to me over, if you look at him from when he came in this season till now, he put on a little bit of muscle as well. And uh, it's really hard to tell with these. I mean, he's 19. His, his uh, adult metabolism is definitely going to hit him around his mid twenties where, you know, all of us slow down a little bit in that department. And uh, for them, luckily for NBA players that are uh, skinny and super athletic, they, they get swoller. For the rest of us, we just get a little chubby. Uh, so hopefully that'll help him out. But I'm not, as far as, the, I'm really impressed with his defense. I mean, his on-ball defense is, his athleticism really helps him in that department. And like you said, what he lacks is just size. Like bigger defenders just literally just walk right over him. Uh, but if it's a guy that's his size, um, you know, I'm really confident that he's going to be one of those guys that you can throw on a Steph Curry. I mean, I saw him guard John ja- ja Moran in the win against Memphis pretty much the whole game because Kevin Porter's ankle was hurt, uh, was tweaked up that game and he did a pretty good job. And so, yeah, I, I would say for him is just getting bigger. And that's why this offseason is real big. He said it himself. The main thing he needs to do is work on his core strength, get his legs stronger so his shots uh, he can throw them up at a at a de- decent clip and hit them and not be so streaky and uh, play defense. Um, but one thing I will say, though, he talks about defense a lot. And it's it is it does feel good to have a potential star that is defensively minded, as you know, where we're coming out of uh, the past uh, six years or so ago. Uh, with our previous uh, suitor here that was in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not fun. And, and and I love the fact that he's serious about it. And there's no question. The the one thing about Jalen Green is he works hard. He wants to get better. And And speaking of a guy that looks to be the same type of player, and this is another serious long-term question, Operant Shangoon, I need to preface this by saying I love Shangoon. And he, along with Green, kept me from turning off the games this year. However, multiple concerns about him long-term defensively he's improved a ton Frank but his lateral footwork it's a real concern for me I'm not sure that's something that's improvable to the point where it's not targeted in a real playoff situation I'm always thinking in those terms because if you want to win that's what you got to think of and you know you know look at Carmelo Anthony and he never great you know really good score but could never figure that out I've got one other thing on Shangun, but I'll let you tackle that one first yeah, the valid concerns, and I've been in plenty of discussions about um, his limitations. But, I mean, to me, he's a high IQ guy. I can live with that as far as me not knowing because I think he's going to figure it out. 
Um, there have been a lot of non-athletic players. If, if, there's, if they have high IQ, positioning, things like that. Plus, he flashes uh, playing on the perimeter from time to time. I don't know if it's a fatigue thing for him right now, but I've seen him guard competently uh, really quick players. It's just that sometimes he looks horrible. Like they will just literally just walk right by him. I think Trey Young did something to him at the game that was something nasty. That uh, <laughs> I was well, like, he oh does God. it to a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. But <laughs> um, as far for LP, I mean, the height is an issue. Um, I like I I compare him to Pal Gasol, but he's a shorter version of him, and uh, that's really the comp that you know everybody says Jokic or all these people. I watch him, man. If you remember how Pal and Kobe used to play off, to me that'll be a dream. If Jalen and, and Shangun can get a two-man game that looks that beautiful. I mean, they were like connected. And I just see that the passing power had, he was not athletic, slow-footed, but just by putting his big body in position, he was able to be a plus defender and be on a championship roster. And to me, it, it goes back to what are you sur- surrounding them with? You know, I know Jalen is a high IQ guy and he's gonna figure it out at some point. What are we adding? You know, it's not gonna be teams with what we currently have now, you know, I don't want to rag on anybody guys like Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate, Jay Sean Tate is high IQ, but just the playing style and the mix with Jalen and LP, I really don't see that. So I think the front office really has to consider the strengths and the limitations of these players. If these guys are going to be the guys you move forward with and what type of team are you going to build around them? Because it's easy when you're just trying to figure out stuff and we give them a pass. Everybody's happy right now, but if we're next summer having a podcast and we're still top five in a lottery, it's not going to be the same vibes for everybody. Uh, So, you know, I think time will tell us what LP is going to be and all these other guys, but also uh, what can uh, Rafael Stone do to bolster up the roster to hide some of those deficiencies they have. You mentioned the next thing I was going to bring up because everybody just makes this big assumption that Shane Goon can just morph into Jokic, but Jokic's passing along with other parts of his offense, they're based on his shooting. Jokic came into the NBA with the jumper. I mean, Shane Goon doesn't even appear to have a 10 or 12 footer at this point. Now, all of a sudden, we're trying to make him into a three-point shooter. Jokic was 80% from the free throw line in year one. That's a real poor 10 usually of your shooting. Shane Goon, not so much, you know, about 70%. Shane Goon shot 25% this year from three. No one was within light years of him when he shot, and he's shooting set shots in slow motion at this point, you know, what do you, you know, what do you feel like is the, the ceiling or, you know, do you feel like the expectation for him has gotten to be a little bit too much at this point? I think he, he's, he pushes the expectations by how, how well he flashes. If he can get to a 33% three point shot, I'm happy with that for him because his spacing really is with his vision and his passing is really what opens up his game and his IQ um, yeah, I do. I, I do find it kind of weird that uh, the current NBA, you want to they start shooting outside in uh, where you want to give him a three. To me, he should be taking more, uh, uh, you know, mid range shots closer to the basket, working on the glass, uh, some of those things and build your way out from there. And I'm not sure if that's what the coaching philosophy of Coach Silas is. For bigs, um, to me, my biggest concern for Shangun or any bigs that come to Houston is how they're going to be utilized within this offense that we run. Because I've seen I've seen his offense in Dallas, and it, it's either you're going to be a role man or you're going to be on the perimeter. So it's one of the two. So I haven't really seen um, 
this style of uh, five out offense really feature a prominent big person at the kind of the point of the attack. And I think Shanguna is a very talented player. So um, yeah, I am concerned about that going forward. I do hope that his work ethic and just his skill, he has a pretty shot. It doesn't go in. It doesn't look pretty when it hits the rim, but it looks pretty uh, up until the release point. So I'm not a shooting guru, but a lot of people say that if your form is okay, then you can, become competent at some point. So that's what I'm hoping for for him. I'm not super excited that he's going to Turkey this summer to play Euro ball. Yeah, me either. He's not going to be working on any of that stuff because they don't want him, you know, in a lab over playing there for his country. I, I just don't see that happening. And I'm just finding this. I heard about it. I didn't know it was confirmed to me. He's too young to be doing that uh, as a player. Honestly, I wish, I mean, I know the Rockets don't, you know, it's uh he has the freedom to do that, but my biggest thing that I wanted, uh, if you remember on the spaces we we're talking about, was trying to get these guys to lock themselves in a gym together all summer and just hoop and just learn to play with each other and just work out like together, you know, not in different countries, but they need to just everywhere. They, they need to go everywhere, travel around the country, just playing basketball as a team. And um, I, I don't yeah, I don't like that either, that he's going to Turkey because, um you know, he's not going to have that con- continuity with the, the rest of the guys and the training staff here that they have. But, you know, he is a uh, MVP over there. So I, I know they, they would require him to come back. I need him in Miyagi or with Miyagi <laughs> in a boat working on that balance. You know, the balance is a big deal for him. And I feel like he, he, he falls down too much. He gets off of his feet a lot, uh, that kind of thing. So you just want him to get a little bit better at, at that now. My next thing is, and you and I, we've talked about this on Spaces. A lot of people have biggest concern, the poor coaching. You know, part of this is young players, and I get it. But I watched Miami bring in undrafted free agents. Everybody knows, you know, what to do over there, where to be on the court. They look like an oiled machine no matter how many injuries they get. And, I mean, it's defensive rotations with the Rockets, transition defense, blocking out i mean i saw even in the last game i'm watching shangun and the ball goes up there's a guy right next to him and instead of blocking him out he goes underneath the the basketball rim and i'm like where where is the instruction on that why is that not a little bit closer to being fixed at game 82 of the season and all the feel-good chemistry between you know the staff and the players it's been great but even when you're losing the habits you want to see have not been there and hey the mess that we saw a lot of the year worked because you locked into that top fit five picks. So you, you cut that out of it. But are you wasting valuable time, Frank, moving forward if Silas is still the coach next year? I think next year is the test. Um, 2020, COVID, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't, I don't give anybody with a job as a coach a pass for it because in, in, relation to every other coach is the same. So somebody won the championship that year, right? So um, 2021, you know, young guys, 400, blah, blah, blah. So the the lights are on now. Starting this year, the pressure is going to be on for it because you can't have three consecutive worst seasons in a row uh, for that. And I'm sure that that will be the test for him because he has the talent. Because we've we've actually I did something when I looked at our the average age of our roster, our, um, and we have one of the oldest tanking teams in the league. 
if you look at the rosters for Oklahoma City, for um, Detroit, for uh, Orlando, the average ages are like 22 or 23 or below. And they still look structured for the most part, even though they lose or whatnot, there's still some structure. Our average age is 26 for our starting five, right? But is John Wall still counting into that? No, I'm just, even just the starters, the starting five, I think our average age was 26 years old with Tate, Wood. Sure. So these are older guys. And the reason I bring that up is that, like to your point, we're not losing just because of youth. I mean, for the most of the year, we've had veterans playing. Eric Gordon was playing 30 plus minutes for more than half the season. Um, on there, he's a he's a former six man of the year. Christian Wood is a is a, a multi year NBA vet uh, playing. Kevin Porter, you know, I don't care. You know, people say, well, oh, he's just a rookie. He's basically he's not basically a rookie. He's had multiple off seasons as a professional. He's a third year player. The only t- rookies or young guys we really had were were Jalen Green on that starting five. Uh, the rest of the guys in those rotations were veterans. So. What does that say that a lot of these issues and how bad we were this year compared to our other counterparts, some of them better than us, some of them, well, I don't think nobody was worse. One of them tied with us. So, yeah, to your point, yeah, he has to show something because to people that watch basketball, you know, I'm not into uh, Twitter fandom and all the, you know, idealistic stuff that goes on on there. Uh, You know, I'm a, a, to me, like it's an age. If you've been in the, if you watch the NBA long enough, you know how these things go. I, do I think he's going to be here when we uh, get to where we're trying to go? No, I don't think so. You know how these go. He gets in. He's the guy they kind of use to get all their talent. Then when they feel like they're ready to make a move to the next level, they bring in somebody that's more established to kind of take that leap. Um, he just has to show something, even not for this team, but for him as a coach, as a head coach. If he ever wants to get a job uh, in the NBA as a head coach again, he has to show something. The guys are there. We have enough talent plus you're adding a first round pick to be a play-in team next year and that's the minimum expectation i have is to be at minimum have a chance to be in the play-in not a lottery team a play-in team some people are trying to tank i'm not so i I think he has a lot to prove because you're right it's it's been pretty um there's been some pretty bad uh red flags that i've seen this year yeah, it's like a, a for me, it's this is a, a treadmill where you you could be running in place with and I don't want to be running in place with these guys. And, you know, he said on Monday, he said, I'm simplifying a bunch on offense and defense uh, or I have simplified a bunch on offense and defense this year. He's going to open up the playbook more. But and I know everybody's going to go, look, look, you know, that's you know, he was doing stuff differently. However, this isn't about a playbook or whatever on defense. Whatever scheme you're teaching, you're you're teaching them to to rotate on on fast breaks. You're, you're you you want to be teaching them to rotate back when it, when a shot goes off. That can't be something that you just said we're not going to worry about this year. I mean, I just that, right. that that I don't understand. No, I agree. I mean, I, that the simplification of the offense, I get. You don't have a. I'm guessing his mind is like Luca level. So he has uh, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter. So that's you know. But the defensive thing, to me, is not even defense. It's just a hustle. Like, what really made me kind of just go nuts over the season was people not running back. And uh, uh, to me, I, you know, like I told you, I played football. And one of the things that our coach, when you watch film with coaches, they will embarrass you if you're not showing effort. And that, to me, as uh, coaches, that's one of the most, like, if, if a player, you can get beat on a play, but if you're just like, 
not showing effort. I mean, my coach used to, he'll rewind it like 50 times and call you every name in the book, every <laughs> all 50 times. So I don't get how our guys could watch film with their coaching staff and put some of the, those clips they put on where they're, they get fouled or think they get fouled and just sit down on the court while the other team goes on a five on three fast break or five on four fast break, or they just don't give any effort on closing out, literally just quit in the middle of a play and not in game one or game 10, but guys were doing this pretty much throughout the whole season. And to me, that is what's concerning because what does that, that speaks to kind of the respect and kind of the culture setting. I feel like they're doing a good job of setting a player friendly environment where everybody feels inclusive and welcome. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's safe for them and they feel good and empowered. But as far as the culture of accountability, that is what concerns me because those are the things that we know work in, in sports when you're trying to get to that level. Are your players, are you holding guys accountable? I don't, I, I was disappointed to see some of those same mistakes of guys sitting on the court. And that to me, that that just sticks out. Christian Wood, Kevin Porter, those guys, they'll get a, a call that or not get a call and just sit there and just pout and uh, not run back on, on uh, back to the other side of the court. That those things like that really say a lot to me. And that, that is what I'm concerned about is him being, being able to hold those guys to the fire because you don't go from a lovey dovey coach to just this hard, you know, hard nose. We're going to get it done coach just over a summer. So I'm concerned about his approach. In my world, I'm out looking. Uh, I would be shocked if the Rockets are going to be out looking, but what's interesting is Frank Vogel got fired. Now in my world, I'm going to talk to Frank Vogel because that guy won a championship. He's taken uh, teams very far in the East with the Pacers. But one of the things that I thought about, you know, and he ain't coming here as an assistant, but maybe you poach somebody off of that staff. For example, David Tisdale, who was also with the Miami Heat and Spolstra for nine years. That's somebody I would uh, consider. Phil Handy is not a name a lot of people know. But he's been on championship staffs with the Lakers, Raptors, and Cavs. Three titles in six years. That's the kind of thing that at least they need to be thinking about this offseason. Because, you know, Will Weaver or John Lucas or who's ever designing the defense, it, it's, you know, we're not seeing the progress like we said. So, you know, that, that's where you can improve, I guess, is through your assistance. Man, that is such an underrated part of a of a of a program is the coaching staff. I think fans get caught up on the player so on the court, but as you know, to win to be a winning organization, you need to win at three levels. The court, on the bench with the coaches, and in the front office. And for us right now, our rebuild is in all three. We have a new owner, we have a bunch of new players, uh, rookies and young guys, and we have a rookie coach essentially that's trying to figure it out and um, the, the pessimist in me will say that whatever we're trying to do, as good as it looks, the NBA history will tell us we're not going to be successful with the with the current um, dynamics we have right now with all of those phases being with people still trying to figure out who they are. So, you know, getting a coach, Frank Vogel, I don't think Frank Vogel, even though if we could get him, I don't think that'd be a healthy climate for Silas <laughs> because you basically have a guy that's a champion. <laughs> like yeah. So I, I don't think that would be, I think his assistants, like they need to revamp that staff. There are too many unproven guys on, not all of them, but some of them are just like, you can't put 
a rookie coach with a rookie assistant with a second year, this guy, and this guy that's coming from this league, like, like they could have helped them out more. I'm not sure what the motivation was behind that roster of coaches they put around, but may, you know, I'm hoping that the little thing that they said, uh, stone made a comment about it's Silas's choice decision about the staff. When somebody asked him, man, Silas comes, he's a, he's, he's a bloodline coach. So I know there are guys in this league that would, if not for anything, for respect out of his father, want to be on a staff to help him out because he is respected around the league. And if they can bolster up his staff, I mean, go look at the championship, go look at you to do an exercise. Anybody's watching this, go to your last five championships, go look on their bench. uh, Who's coaching. Half of them are former head coaches, former champions. Like it's, it's like all-star game coach coaching a version of all-star games on these championship teams. It's not a coincidence that a guy like uh, in Toronto where they had a great winning program, even though they, they didn't win a championship, Nick Nurse took the reins and bam, he's there. So they've had Nick Nurse on that staff. A level of coach like that was a staff. Eric Spolstra in Miami, somebody that was a, a video editor moving up the ranks, he was there on that staff. Who is that on our staff that we could say, okay, this guy is the you know the next dish or that. So yeah, we, uh, we definitely... A lot of uncertainties, man. The only the only positive I have right now is Jalen Green. Just like Mike, my space host, will take. He said he doesn't care about anything else. But as long as Jalen Green looks like he's supposed to be good, at least we have a little bit of something to build off of. Yeah, the only guy that, frankly, I realistically see coming over from the Lakers is maybe John Lucas the third because there's a little bit of connection <laughs> with him here. But let me go through the bets one by one. And I, wanted, I want you to tell me if you want them back and then – what do you think's really going to happen? So I'll start with Eric Gordon. You want him back? I, I love Eric Gordon. Um, I think they should have traded him this uh, previous uh, year. He is a, a great presence on the court for our guys. Uh, I love when I was on the uh, Locked On Rockets pod with uh, Jackson. Um, uh, I pulled up the stat that showed when he was on the court. Uh, there's like a ten point swing in the in the uh, uh, you know in the in the plus minus for the team. So. Do I want him back? Yes, but if uh, they will trade him at the deadline, um, I like the presence he brings, but I think he needs to go um, at some point because I don't see his purpose on this roster um, at this point. Um, So, yeah, I like EG, but I think he's served this role um, as the guys kind of advance. It's just, you know, it's either he's going to be a six man, but I don't really want him to be starting on this team. Um, taking up the slot of somebody else that could be potentially here when we're trying to win a championship. You think he is going to be back though? Yes. I think he'll be back because I really don't see a world. I mean, the offers are still probably going to be a late first round pick or a second in the future. Right. So, I mean, for me, for them, I really don't see what the purpose would be unless they're trying to make moves in the off season to free up some spots uh, for somebody else to come in and take that role. Um, his last year of his contract is going to be the year after this one coming up, and it's non-guaranteed. So there are some things there that they could do, but I would keep him just, if, if anything, as money for a trade. And Eric Gordon is somebody that, you know, you could use if you were to sign a, a, a Brunson. I don't see that happening, right. but, you know, that that's the kind of guy that you might need to, to flip. Yep. Uh, just not because, you know, n- not because uh, – 
necessarily the Mavs would want, but they're, they're, they're likely getting nothing for Brunson. Um, right. it's, it's too difficult. And he's, a, he, he's a positive value guy. I mean, even like you're saying, if, if I'm giving you a equal salary for a trade and it's Eric Gordon, that's not a stretch for you to say yes. Like some other players would be like, uh, you got to throw in a little sweetener on there. But with Eric Gordon, I mean, okay. Yeah. That's Eric Gordon. He can come off the bench for you and score 15 points and play good defense. So I think he's a valuable trade trade piece for us. If anything, he's a salary. Christian Wood, you want him? Okay, I'm torn on this because I have a theory about Christian Wood that I think if he had better players around him that are better than him, he would be a, a better player. Um, I think what just like with Garrison Matthews, what our team was this year, a bunch of guys playing out of their uh, their tax bracket. And he was one of them. Christian Wood is not, should never be, well, let me not say never because, you know, he's still a young man, but he he is not anyone's best player. So if he was in the proper slot in the hierarchy on a team, I could see his skill set being valuable. And also with people that are able to hold him accountable. Example, if Christian Wood was in Golden State, do you think he would be quitting in the middle of defensive plays with Draymond Green on the court with him? No. Right. So for him, it's effort. And we just don't have the players right now for that. If they can go go get a Draymond or somebody that's going to get in everybody's face and like, no, we're going to play good defense and do all this stuff because Silas is not going to do it. um, Then yes. But because of that, because we don't have that guy, I want them to trade him Um, because of that dynamic of him really not understanding the hierarchy of what it needs to be and where he thinks he is. I think that's going to cause some issues. Plus they need to trade him quickly because he's going to be an expiring contract next year. And I am not excited to see what Christian Wood as an expiring contract looks like on our team. (laughs) Oh my God. Can you imagine? I feel like that's kind of the way he plays anyways. You know, (laughs) the, the, the big thing for me, I I don't know what you think is going to happen, but I think, He's gone unless the Rockets end up with, you know, maybe they they, they end up with Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp or, you know, A.J. Griffin. But most scenarios I see in the draft, Wood's gone. I mean, I, I you're, he's getting in the way is what he's doing. He is. He is. And it was apparent from March through the end of the year how the team played. Um, even though they weren't, you know, the best team in the world, they played better. Everybody pretty much played better. And, uh, you know, um, I haven't really looked at the numbers to see how their defense fared. I know some of the games got pretty ugly, but just in aggregate, what it looked like, but they just played better and they're, uh, the chemistry is better. I think everybody functions a little better when he, it's, I don't think it's his fault. It's just that he demands so much for what his style of play. And I think with our young guys and them trying to figure out who they are, it's just competing priorities. He's at a different point in his career and he's trying to get paid and I, God bless him for that and go for it, brother. But this team is not, we're not trying to satisfy Christian Wood's career goals right now. We're trying to rebuild and that those two dynamics are competing with each other and it's not going to get any better if they don't extend them. So if they're not going to extend them, if they're going to keep them to go into free agency, it'll get ugly. Cause I can imagine, can you imagine Christian Wood has, a bad two weeks in like March. And it's like, we're, we're, uh, you know, frisky for a playing spot and he got to get paid. 
look off Jalen. Jalen has 30 points. I'm going to look him up. I got to get these numbers. So I'm worried about that. I, I don't want that. Like, I, I think they need to move him in the summer if, if, if possible. Yeah, you cannot improve your defense with Christian Will on the floor. I'm sorry. I'm hearing people say, oh, let's try him at small forward or what. You no, know, that's... no, there's there's no way. I feel like he kind of is what he is as far as a defensive player. And, you know, I remember at the all-star break, he said, oh, I'm going to put 150% of defense in the second half. To see what, what have you been doing? I mean, that's what you should He had been. three good games. He, he, he tried for like three or four games. I'll give him that. And he's this guy that just, when he gets hit in the mouth, you know, some people, when they get in the mouth, they come back harder. He's not one of those guys. End of story. His his basketball IQ is really where he loses me because some of the decisions, in, especially on defense, um, is just uh, lacking a, a lot of. And for his age, he's going to be 27. Um, to me, like you are, like you said, you are what you are. He could marginally get a better in shooting and random stuff like that. But like the point guard thing, and defensive intensity is your it's a personality trait you can't flip flip it on and off that's some guys are just dogs and i don't think that's in him for that side of the ball any one of these three guys you want to bring back or any of them that you think the rockets are going to bring back schroeder fernando schroeder, no. i think for, i'm i'm intrigued by fernando i'm very intrigued because what we really need is what he provides. Um, and if they can get him for the a minimum, like, why not? Because we're going to try to get a big I, – I, I'm really intrigued because I didn't know. I've never watched him play in any stretch. I watched him. I think he was in Atlanta at some point. He made a, He might have been there for a little bit. Um, I kind of watched him. He didn't really look that impressive. I think he might have been a rookie or a sophomore year. But he has pretty good footwork and better finishing than I ever thought. I thought he was just one of those clunky big bigs that's just out there to set screens, but he has a little bit of game and he's only 23. So unless he's trying to go out there and get a big contract, I don't see what's wrong with bringing it. He fits the timeline. He's huge. Even though he's not the tallest, his bot, he's just a big guy and he's a Uber athlete. And if they can develop a guy out of the, you know, uh, any of the non, you know, core guys we have, I'm really, I think they should try to see what they can do with Fernando. Other than that, nobody else. Um, Schroeder doesn't, you know, I mean, he can help. But I just don't see why he would want to be on our team, uh, honestly. Uh, you know, but everybody else probably has to go. And Tate. Uh, oh, Tate. I think Tate. Were you going to ask about Tate? I wasn't going to ask about him, but I, I've been in a debate with uh, a fan of my, of my podcast and, you know, we we've discussed a lot about him and I, I just feel like he is highly overrated by the fans of what he is. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that, and you guys have talked about it on your spaces, but sometimes it's, Oh, there's a guy that's doing something on defense and it looks impressive because nobody else is worth <laughs> a darn on defense. And, and that's kind of a lot of what I see from Tate, but you know, it, it you, you just can't have a guy like that on a team that's going to make a championship run. So the future of him to me, isn't there. And, and he's, you know, he's six, four, maybe, maybe six, five. I don't know. He's, he's in that range. I get that he's big, but I don't see any guys at his size that cannot shoot and are not a vertical threat whatsoever 
as a guy that's going to, you know, be on this championship team, even I would say coming off the bench, even as the seventh or eighth guy, like I, I would have preferred this year that he played off the bench because really the future, especially as the year progressed, you saw it in Kenyon Martin, you saw it in uh, Christopher. I would have rather seen those guys get a little bit more minutes, even at the three, even though I know they didn't like them at the three, but I thought it was worth putting them at the three. So Matthews and Tate were not out there as much. And I, I just, I didn't understand that. And, you know, if, if Tate's around next year, I got no issue with it, but please put him on the bench. I mean, it's, it's, he's not a starter and he's about a 15 to 20 minute guy, even on a Rockets team. I, I love, I love him as, as a concept and as a player, like what he brings and all the intangible stuff. But yeah, I mean, everything you said is pretty spot on. I think for him, the role they have him playing in is just a little, a lot of guys on our team this past year were playing roles that um, like, like uh, the old folks say they're playing uh, bigger than their britches. And uh, those, those got those things like Garrison Matthews, Tate, they all need to be scaled back. And what I'm hoping for is as talent is infused and you're getting these draft picks and you're getting these free agents come in, they just slide down, slide down the rung uh, of that, uh, that ladder of playing time and just go to where they belong, which is spot minutes off the bench. Um, going forward, definitely KJ Martin needs to, uh, take that starting role from him. He's a better, just all around fit for the team. He doesn't, he's not a high scoring, high usage guy. Uh, if, I don't know if you saw the, the little, uh, graphic animation I put up of the shot attempts, there was a good portion of the season where, uh, Tate was, uh, second or second on the team in field goal attempts. In what universe is that legal? That should be illegal, right? With a team with all these young scorers up until maybe February when Jalen started um, becoming more aggressive or they let him become more aggressive or he just chose to become more, more aggressive. Tate was one of our top, uh, him and Christian Wood were uh, sharing the highest field goal attempts on the team. So once again, that does talk about coaching though. Like what goes on with the coaching staff to let that happen? And how do you allow that to happen? So yeah, he, he is, um, you know, off the bench guy. He has to me that PJ Tucker thing, even though PJ is a bigger player, PJ can shoot, but PJ didn't always have those skill sets. He could always defend. Uh, he has to go to other leagues and be a journeyman to get his three point shot down. And, and I don't think we have that time on this team for Tate to make that full circle where he develops some of those holes and patches them up in his game uh, without being a liability on a bad team. So I, I can see that, you know, maybe at some point in the future, he'll be on a, he can be a great player on a championship team because he has that tenacity. He is a dog. Um, he plays really hard. He's high IQ, but, uh, too many limitations right now. Um, I think they like him because of all the other intangibles though, but, um, as talent comes in, that's going to really be outweighed by talent. Like, you know, I can get a rah-rah guy that can hit shots too, you know, so I don't need him to be a, a sub 30% three-point shooter. The other thing about his three-point shooting is, you know, he's 26 now. If it's going to happen, it would have happened by now. I mean, he's played in pro leagues. He's been around. He sees what's going on with the NBA. You would think you're in the gym all the time. If he was going to get better at it, he would have gotten better at it. Number two, the high IQ thing. I mean, I guess, but I see him do a lot of boneheaded stuff. And it seems like once a game, he commits a foul on a fast break that there, it wasn't a, a thing where there was not 
there was a thing where the other team had numbers uh, or they're already in the bonus. So why are you committing a foul there? There's no point in committing a foul if they're already in the bonus because you're just going to send them to the free throw line. They're going to knock down two free throws. You're slowing the game down. You're the Rockets. You want the game sped up. That's the way we play. So that kind of stuff bugs the hell out of me. There's just a bunch of times where he just takes a foul or he gets mad and he commits a technical. I mean, why is Jayshon Tate, you know, getting a bunch of technicals? At the, I mean, yeah. it, there there is some IQ things where I think everybody says this, this, and this, but I see this other stuff and I'm like, yeah, but that's bothering me. Yeah, that's true. The technicals definitely bother me. I don't think he has enough cachet to, I'm sure he probably leads our team in technicals. Um, but he, his defense, he can play defense. Um, I, I've watched, you know, obviously if you watch him play, he is a great on-ball defender for multiple positions. So I'm not going to down undersell him on that. I think where you see him get into foul trouble and all that is because of where we have him playing defense at. We're throwing Jayshon Tate on everybody. Tate, go guard LeBron. You're guarding KD. You're guard. I mean, he's, you know, he's good and he's been a pro, but he's still a young guy and he's 6'4". So I think the team's uh, lack of other good defensive players really puts him at a disadvantage, especially when your center, Christian Wood, has you guarding Jonas Valachunas. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that's the dynamic there. I can see him, like, let's say we draft Jabari Smith and you have better shooting and better defense on the on the court Tate can survive the problem is we have too many non-shooters on the court multiple that are even though they can make shots they're not good shooters that's a problem if Tate is going to become a like a really really good defender I think he can be and he can be a great team defender um and he can maybe even he can even be on a good team or a great team uh but you really and this is what I don't like to try to cover up for uh, role guys but if you can build a roster that has good defense and good shooting, then you could afford to have him out there. The problem is, you know, right now our roster lacks good defense and good shooting. Yeah, and if he's going to be a starter on a championship team, I understand he plays good. He needs to be Draymond Green level defense. Right. If he's going to be, you know, right. just literally no shooting whatsoever. And Draymond Green does a lot of other stuff that people yes, forget about yes, too. Playmaking and yep. How oh, we could go on and on, but want to wrap things up. Tell people what the HTX uh, Chop Shop is. Uh, what it is is basically once we, you know, the season was going on, and we had a lot of thoughts as we started doing the spaces. Me, Xavier, and Mike uh, on Twitter um, of trying to just see what the fans were were you know speaking on. Like fans, like you know, different people. You come on our spaces. Our spaces is not as. Uh, uh, friendly as you know people basically speak their opinions and we like that about it and we saw a lot of the media platforms um, weren't really hypercritical of the team as a healthy journalist or a healthy fan base uh, should be um, to me there's almost this too much of a buddy buddy relationship um, and so what we wanted to do was create an open platform for fans to voice their opinions on a team good bad or indifferent and so it's just a group of people that came together. We have different skill sets. People do different things. And it's open for any, like if, if you, somebody writes and you want to write um, an article about the team, uh, you know, we're, we have a website. You can post it on there with no affiliation to us whatsoever. If you do um, graphic designing and you want to post something, our, our uh, 
Twitter page is going to post it up for you. We have an Instagram. We have, so it's, we just created a platform where fans could be genuine. They could be true. Um, you don't have to police your thoughts. If you don't like Christian Wood, uh, then you can say so. If you love Kevin Porter Jr., then scream it at the top of your lungs. Uh, but just creating an open platform for people to share their love or hate for what the Rockets are doing. And I think um, it's a concept that a lot of people gravitate toward, uh, towards. And that's really what you see when you come on our spaces as well. I see you got some planned for the offseason too. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of stuff coming up this offseason. Uh, we're going to be looking doing some retrospective views on the team. Obviously you got to find things to, to fill in the time, but never really uh, dug deep into some of our, our previous Rockets team. We're going to be looking at some of the, uh, the championship runs teams. We're looking at the Harden era, uh, doing some po- uh, post-mortems on that. Uh, also the draft obviously coming up, we have some guys working on some draft uh, stuff, free agency, potential free agents, um, the playoffs, we're going to try to cover a lot of that with using some of the same structures with the spaces, data graphics, people writing articles about that. So we'll just try to keep things going. And one thing I love about where we are now with Rockets content is that there's so many outlets for it um, and so many different perspectives. And I, I'm a basketball Rockets junkie and I can never get enough. So the more, the merrier. So if it's whether it's from you, from Jackson, uh, from uh, people on the chop shop, from the dream shake, from, uh, you know, locked on rockets, the clutch city, I, I just consume from Apollo. I consume all of it. And I think as fans, it is a golden age for us right now because we have so many great people putting out good stuff. And um, I'm just happy to be a, a, a part of it and be somebody that can help others uh, share their talents. One of the things I like specifically about you is I, I, I've been a I've been in journalism for most of the last 30 years. So, you know, you, you have to come at things with a little bit more of a of a middle ground, but you can do it and still be a Rockets fan, which I am and criticizing them as part of the game. And you you can do that and still you're, you're criticizing them because you're trying to figure out how they can get better. And And I think that's what you do. And I think some of your guys over there do that. And, and I, I really, I really love what you guys, it just, sometimes you just want to hear what's going on in the community, what people are thinking. Uh, it used to be more of a sports radio thing. Um, I, I don't think people are checking out the radio as much as they used to. So this is like the new, you know, sports radio post game show or, or that sort of stuff. And, and it's really great stuff. And man, I can't appreciate, I can't um, tell you how much I, I appreciate you coming on and hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. And that's and just uh, one last thing. That's exactly what it is. I think it's a generational thing um, with uh, I grew up listening to sports radio. You know, I love sports radio and so the personalities of the people that are kind of moderating the discussions amongst the fans. And now with Twitter, a lot of our the fan base on Twitter, are, you know, probably 25 and younger um, and they don't really understand fandom how it used to be um, before social media where it is healthy for you to criticize your team in fact that was the expectation you were always on them about what was going on and uh, for our fan base I think we need to learn to do that because if we're ever going to be a championship team it takes us also holding the team accountable and being that voice any any uh, historic uh, championship team in any city whether it's in Boston Los Angeles and New York, go check out their fan bases and see what that relationship is like. We're not, you know, I don't want us to get toxic like they are, but that's a healthy thing. Don't be Utah. Don't be Portland. 
Right. <laughs> it's healthy. It's good to have that healthy skepticism and always keep the team on their toes. And that's what championship uh, level cities, that's what they do. And we are trying to get back to that. And that's when, you know, that's one of the things we're trying to do is we got to keep the fire to them so they don't screw this up for us. New York fans, you might not like them, but their passion is real. And, and you know, those people don't cut any corners if, if they don't like what's going on and, and that's okay. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks so much for doing this. And, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.